in your Bibles this morning, would love for you to turn with me to Luke chapter number eight. Luke chapter eight. In Luke chapter eight, verse number one, Luke tells us that after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. Now, Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. Jesus replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father in heaven, we come before you this morning and we are grateful for the opportunity that we have to hold the word of God in our hands, 
to read it with our eyes, to hear it read with our ears. But Father, as this passage will teach us, it is important for us to have our eyes opened by your grace, to have our ears opened by your grace, to have our hearts prepared to be good ground to receive the word of God that is taught and preached. And so, Father, I pray that you would do that for those who are here this morning, for every single one of us. Open our eyes, open our ears, soften and prepare our hearts to be good ground to receive the word. And may your spirit accomplish his work among us. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Can you imagine being in the presence of Jesus at the moment that he healed a blind man? Maybe you were the blind man himself. Can you imagine being that blind man in an instant being able to see? Can you imagine standing there along the roadside when Jesus stops a funeral procession and says to a young man who is dead, get up and he gets up and he's alive. Jesus' ministry made him a popular figure. News about him began to spread. The healings, the casting out of demons, his teaching, the news about him began to spread. Jesus was starting to become a spectacle in Israel, and he began to attract large crowds around him. But here's the problem. Those large crowds were composed of people who were there just for the show. The crowd of people was mixed, wasn't it? Those people, not every single one of them truly believed in Jesus. Some of them were there because they were skeptical. Some of them were there because they just wanted to see some miraculous thing happen. They wanted to see the show. They wanted to be entertained. Some came because they wanted to be fed, Jesus said. At another time, you've come because of I fed you with the bread and the loaves. And so people came to hear Jesus and gather around him for different reasons. But here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus was not in the business of gathering a crowd just for the sake of gathering a crowd. Jesus was a lot different from modern megachurch pastors in that regard. Jesus didn't care about building a crowd. He didn't care about numbers. He didn't care about having a large crowd just for the sake of having a large crowd. In fact, there were times in Jesus' ministry when he would actually break up the crowds and send some of them away with his teaching. We read about that in John chapter 6, that after Jesus' teaching, many of them walked away and no longer followed him. Sometimes Jesus would say hard things, and in the process, it would be revealed who was there to listen and hear but who is there to just see the show? In our passage this morning, Jesus is going to teach us some things to help us understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a true follower of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we see at the very beginning of this passage is that a Christian may come from a variety of different backgrounds and classes in society. A Christian may come from a variety of different backgrounds and classes in society. The first few verses of our passage this morning talks about Jesus traveling from town to town 
and the people that accompanied him as he did that. He had the 12, which we know, the 12 disciples, the ones chosen by Jesus to carry on his ministry even after he would be gone. His ambassadors, his messengers. And even as you think about the 12, they were kind of a mixed bunch, weren't they? It was a unique group of individuals. I mean, you had some that were probably more educated, some that maybe came from higher classes in society. But really, for the most part, most of Jesus' disciples were the rejects. They were just your average people from Galilee, from the rural areas of Galilee, fishermen. You had despised tax collector numbered among Jesus' disciples. It was a unique uh, gathering, unique crowd of individuals that Jesus put together in the 12. But then you also see here in verses 2 and 3 that there were some other people traveling with Jesus from town to town. Most notably, there, were, there was a group of women that were traveling with Jesus. And that in itself is unique in the ancient world, in Jesus' day, for Jesus to be open to having women be a part of his disciples and following him and going with him from place to place. Don't ever let anybody tell you that Christianity represses women. That is a false narrative. You go back and you look through history. Christianity has always lifted up women above how they were treated in the rest of the world. Throughout history, from the very beginning, starting with Jesus and his welcoming of women into his crowd of disciples. Christianity doesn't suppress women. It lifts them up. It gives them a a place of privilege, helps them to see their true purpose and calling in life and welcomes them into the family of God. As Paul says in Galatians 3.28, male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, we're all one in Christ. But even among these women that are listed there, you have really a quite a variety. You have Mary Magdalene, which the passage says that Jesus cast out seven demons from her. You know that she was not welcome, right? In a lot of places. She was an outcast. She was rejected. She probably had to live outside the town. She was kind of like a a leper almost. She was put apart, ostracized from society. But Jesus healed her, cast those demons out. And now she's with him and traveling with him and these other women So you have Mary Magdalene, who is a reject and despised by society, but now she's healed and cleansed and made a part of Christ's people. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. She was probably quite wealthy. She was the wife of a man who was quite important in ancient Israel. You had Susanna and many others, and it even says that these women were helping to support them, that is Jesus and his disciples, out of their own means. So some of these women had means. They were wealthy. They had money. They could help support Jesus and his disciples in their work. And you think about all the different people that became followers of Jesus in Jesus' own day, but then even later in the book of Acts and throughout the history of the church, Christianity is made up of all kinds of people, isn't it? All kinds of people from every race, from every tribe, every 
every tongue on earth, all classes of people, rich and poor, slave and free. Those who were moral, those who were immoral, those who were rejects of society, those who were the, the, the ones looked at as the lifted up ones in society. Jesus calls them all to himself. A Christian may come from a variety of different backgrounds and classes in society. But then Jesus, in the midst of this crowd, he begins telling them a parable. And we all know this parable really well, don't we? This is a parable that we've heard many, many times throughout our lives. It's the parable of the sower and the seed, or maybe even a better way to put it is the parable of the four types of ground, because that's really the focus of Jesus' attention is on these four different types of ground and the way that they receive the seed. And so Jesus tells the story, and it was a story that most people in his day could identify with. They were an agrarian society. They could identify with Jesus, what he's saying here, at least in terms of its earthly meaning. And so Jesus says there was a farmer. He went out and he was sowing seed. And the way that they would do it is they would have a big sack kind of wrapped around their waist and they would just take seed and they would just kind of indiscriminately throw it out there in the field. And interestingly enough, in the ancient world, they would actually throw out the seed and then they would come back later and plow it to to put the seed deep into the ground and give it nutrients. And so they would just throw out seed. Well, undoubtedly, that seed went all over the place. Some of it would go outside the field, right? It'd go outside the, the field that was designated for growing crops and it would end up on the path that people walked on. And as you walk on a path, what happens to it? That dirt gets pounded down, right? Day after day after day as feet trample on that and it gets pounded down and it's hard. No seeds are getting in that. That's the hard ground that Jesus talks about. And what happens with the hard ground? Nothing happens to it. Birds come and they eat it up. I was always amazed when I was growing up and we would plant grass seed that you plant grass seed and guess what happens? Birds descend, right? What are, I don't know why birds like to eat grass seed, but they do. They love it. And so you put grass seed out and birds will descend and eat up all your grass seed. And so the Jesus says, that's what happens to these seeds. They threw it. Some of it landed in places that were hard. It wouldn't go down in the ground and the birds just came and ate it up. It was gone. Had no chance. But then there was some other seed that fell in the field and, and that seed, it went on the ground and And it started to take root and it started to grow. But the problem was it was just a a little bit of topsoil. And underneath that little bit of topsoil, it was just hard, rocky. And and so the roots couldn't go down and get any kind of nutrients. And after a while, they just shriveled up and died. Other seed, it was spread out and thrown out into areas where there were weeds and thorns and thistles. And the weeds and the thorns they soaked up all the nutrients from the ground and choked out the good plants and they died. But then you had some seed that fell in the good ground and ground that was good. It was fertile. It was uh, conducive for growing crops and it took root and it grew and it sprouted up and it stayed and it went all the way through the whole season and it produced the crop a hundredfold. Now, if you were a farmer which one would you care about? Just the last one, right? 
Just the last one. You don't care about what happens to the seed that got ate up by the birds. You don't care about the seed that, you know, it sprouted up a couple inches, but then it died. You don't care about those. The only one you care about as the farmer are the ones that lasted and grew the whole season and produced the crop. That's what you planted it for. So the emphasis in Jesus' story is on the last one. And a lot of times that's how Jesus' parables work. He'll give two or three examples of something, but then the one that he really wants us to focus our attention on comes at the climax, comes at the end. Think of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Here comes this Levite. Here comes this priest. But what's Jesus' emphasis? The last one who came along, which is shocking, isn't it? Because it was a Samaritan. So here, Jesus' focus is on the last one, and that is on the good ground that actually grows and produces seed. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. That statement of Jesus, I think, is kind of the theme of this whole passage. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. What does that mean? What does that mean? Clearly, Jesus isn't talking physically, is he? Because unless you're physically deaf, which most of those, I would imagine, in that crowd would not have been physically deaf. If they had been, they probably would have come forward and asked Jesus to heal them. So they're not physically deaf. They have ears to hear. They're able to hear with their ears the audible words of Jesus. But that's not what he's talking about, is he? He's talking about a spiritual kind of hearing, isn't he? Those who have ears opened, those who have spiritual ears to op- that are opened and able to receive and hear the word of God, hear what I am teaching. And that, that is made more clear here in verses 9 and 10 when Jesus' disciples came to him and asked him, what, is, what does this mean? What is this parable? And Jesus said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others, I speak in parables so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. And if that last quotation of Jesus rings a bell, it's because it was in Isaiah chapter six. Part of our scripture reading earlier in the service. In which in Isaiah six, God comes to Isaiah and it's it's Isaiah's call as a prophet. And God comes to Isaiah and says, I'm calling you. Who's going to go for me? Who, who should I send? And Isaiah says, send me. I will go. I will preach. And God says, I'm going to send you. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to preach. But these people are going to be seeing, ever seeing, but never understanding. Ever hearing, but never really receiving. Though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. And Isaiah says, how long? And God says, until the whole place is desolate, until it's all wiped out, until the cities are in ruins. What does that mean in Isaiah 6? Well, in Isaiah 6, it was God coming to Isaiah and commissioning him as a prophet to go to a people who had already for generations rejected God's word. 
and had now come to the point where God was going to judge Judah, judge them for their sin and rebellion and their years and years of rejection of God's word and God's prophets that he had previously sent. And so now he's sending Isaiah to, to preach to them, but notice this, not to be converted, but to be further hardened in preparation for judgment. How would you like to be called as a prophet, a missionary, a pastor, and God says to you as he calls you, I want you to go and I want you to preach and I want you to give my message the rest of your life and you're going to have zero success. You're going to go out and try to do church planting and you're going to have zero converts. You're going to go to a mission field and you're going to have zero become Christians. That's essentially what God is asking Isaiah to do. Go out and preach this message that I give to you, but people are not going to listen. People are not going to see people are not going to understand. Why does Jesus quote that here in this context of the parable of the four types of ground? It's because Jesus knows the hearts of people, doesn't he? In fact, there's a passage in John, I believe it's in John chapter two, where it says that many people came and they came to Jesus and it says they believed in him. But it says that Jesus did not entrust himself to them. Why? Because it says he knew the hearts of all men. So even though there were people that came and quote unquote believed in Jesus, Jesus knew that not all of those people that gathered around him truly believed in him because he knew their hearts. Same thing here. This is one of the reasons why he tells this parable, the four types of ground to a huge crowd of people that are gathered around him. Among this crowd, all four of these types of ground are represented, aren't they? There are some out here, Jesus is saying, you're not going to listen to a word I say. You're like that hard ground that is just swept away. There are some of you that are going to like what I say and you're going to, you're going to receive it and you're going to be joyful in receiving it, but it's not going to last. It's going to get too hard. It's going to get too difficult. You're going to get your eyes back on the things of the world, the pleasures of this life, and it's not going to last. Jesus knew that. But Jesus also knew that there were people in that crowd, like the 12, save Judas, who were going to stay, right? Who were going to stay. They were going to continue on. They were going to persevere. They're going to produce fruit. Jesus knew the hearts of people, and he knows that not everyone has ears to hear. Not everyone's heart has been prepared to be good ground to receive the word of God. And so Jesus teaches this parable to the disciples and he explains it to them. The seed is the word of God. The word goes out. Some don't receive it at all. They just reject it out of hand. They're the skeptics. They're the scoffers, right? They're the people that you invite them to church and they laugh at you and they say, no way, I'm never coming to church. That's the hard ground, right? Never never even initial response, never even an initial inclination toward it at all, outright rejection. That's the hard ground. But then there are some people that, you know, you'll talk to them about the gospel, you'll invite them to church, they'll come, they'll maybe stick around for a little bit, but then after a while they just kind of drift off, they fade away. 
the world gets to be too enjoyable for them. They no longer care about God. They no longer care about the gospel. Or maybe Christianity gets too tough and people start to ridicule them for their faith. And so they fall away because of testing, Jesus says, because of their, their faith being tested. They don't last. But there is one type of ground that lasts. And he says, the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. That is what Jesus is interested in. And in this parable, he is teaching us that a Christian receives the word of God and produces the fruit of obedience. A Christian receives the word of God and produces the fruit of obedience. Is there such a thing as a false profession of faith? Is there such a thing as a person who professes to believe in Christ, but they are not a genuine believer? Does such a person exist? Yes. In fact, Jesus says there are many of them. Because in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And in that same context, in fact, just a few verses earlier in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this about fruit, about fruit bearing. He says, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. There's been a debate of interpretation over this parable of the four types of ground. Over which of these types of ground genuinely represent a Christian. And I'm convinced that the proper interpretation of this passage is only one of these types of ground represents a Christian. And that's the last one. It's the one that stays. It's the one that endures. It's the one that remains in Christ. As Jesus says in John 15, abide in me and my word abide in you. Remain in me. That is the mark of a Christian, someone who has been born again by the spirit of God, someone who has been granted authentic faith. Not man produced faith, but God wrought faith. They stay and they produce fruit. They endure. There is a very dangerous theology out there today. And unfortunately, it is prevalent in a lot of Baptist churches. It is the theology of you pray a prayer, you walk an aisle, maybe even get baptized and you have instant guaranteed eternal security. 
And so there are a lot of people out there in Baptist churches, maybe a lot of them who are not actually in the churches, but a lot of folks who have listened to a gospel presentation like that have prayed a prayer, have done whatever the preacher said to do, raise your hand, walk an aisle, whatever, pray a prayer. And then a lot of times that preacher will also pronounce upon them the eternal security of having eternal life. Here's the issue. Will all of those people stay and endure and produce fruit? They're not. Just like Jesus knew that not all the people gathered around him that day in Luke chapter 8 were going to stay and produce fruit. That's why he told the parable. So the dangerous thing is, is that there are a lot of people who have been given the false hope and false assurance and false security of the doctrine of eternal security without the accompanying doctrine of what Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 8. That is, those who are truly his bear fruit. And so how do I know if I'm a Christian? It's not, do you have a date written in your Bible of when you pray to prayer? That's not how you know if you're a Christian. You know you're a child of God if you believe in him today. And if there is evidence being born out in your life that the spirit lives there. Like love like joy, like peace, like long-suffering, like gentleness, like goodness, like mercy. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. These are the fruits of the Spirit, meaning these are the evidences, these are the products, these are the fruit if the Spirit is there. Because if the Spirit is there, there will be good ground, won't there? If the Spirit is there, and if the Spirit has done His work of John chapter 3, going where he wants to go and blow where he wants to blow and granting new birth, if the spirit has done that work, then that heart is good ground and the word will come in and it will stay and it will grow and it will produce, produce fruit. That is what John says in 1 John, how we can know that we believe that we have eternal life. Because we have faith in Christ, because we love the brothers, and because we seek to do the will of Christ. A Christian is someone who receives the word and bears fruit. And then Jesus gives another short parable in verses 16 to 18 that I think teaches us something more about our response to the word of God. In verse 16, he says, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have even what they think they have will be taken from them. What is Jesus saying in this short kind of parable type statement that he makes? He says, you don't light a lamp and put a jar over it. So that doesn't make sense. You don't, you don't light a candle and put it under your bed. 
one, you don't want to catch it on fire, right? But you don't put it in a place where it's not going to let its light shine, right? You don't light something and then cover it up. You want it to be made known. You want it to be disclosed. What is Jesus referring to here in this context? I'm convinced that what Jesus is, in his talking about the light, he is talking about his teaching. He's talking about his teaching. To me, it's very parallel to the word, the seed of the word of God that goes out. And so you want this light to be made open, declared, made manifest. And Jesus says, I'm doing that. I am declaring the light. I am making manifest the truth of God. And then in verse 17, he says, there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Meaning that Jesus, the light, is also the discerner of who is and who is not his, isn't he? He's just been talking about four different types of ground and some who are going to fall away and some who will not remain. And now he's saying the light is going to reveal what really is. The light's going to show. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. To me, that's very parallel to what he says earlier when he says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Be careful how you listen. And whoever has will be given more, but whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. What is he talking about there? There are people who are born again and there are people who are not. And the people who are born again are the ones who can hear and they're the ones who will be given more. But there are people who are not born again and they don't have an open heart. And so even what they think they have they really don't have it. They really don't have it. And so a Christian listens attentively to the word of God. That's one of the marks of a Christian, not only the production of fruit, but also open ears to receive and retain the word of God. And then there's this very short interaction at the end of the passage in which Jesus' mother and brothers, these are his physical mother, his physical brothers, which would be his half-brothers. And they come, and it says they want to meet with Jesus. They want to see him. But there's a huge crowd, right? There's a huge crowd, so they can't get close to Jesus. So they send word, and they come to Jesus, and, and the messengers tell them, your, your mother and brothers are here. They're outside. They want to see you. And Jesus makes this statement in verse number 21. My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it, into practice. You say, well, that sounds callous, right? I mean, here are Jesus' mother and brothers outside and they want to see him and it almost sounds dismissive, right? No, Jesus is making a further teaching point here, isn't he? He's, he's taking the opportunity that was given by the mention of his mother and brothers and he's going to make another teaching point about the exact same thing that he's been talking about through this whole passage on the matter of hearing and doing. And what Jesus is saying is, yes, I have a physical family and he loved them and he cared for them. And we can see his care and love for his mother at the end of his life when he entrusts his mother to John, the apostle. He loved and cared for his physical family. But Jesus is making a point here about a spiritual family. 
A spiritual family is one who hears the word of Christ, hears the word of God, but not just hears it, does it, puts it into practice. And so a Christian obeys the commands of Christ. So a Christian listens, a Christian receives, a Christian bears fruit, a Christian puts into practice the word of Christ. And so from this whole passage, verses 1 through 21, we might sum it up this way. Authentic faith may be found in all kinds of people. And praise God for that, right? All kinds of people. And authentic faith produces fruit, listens to the word of Christ, and obeys the word of Christ. Now, we're not perfect. A Christian is not perfect. A Christian is not in this earth, in this body that is not yet glorified. A Christian is not going to perfectly receive the word of God. A Christian is not going to perfectly hear and understand the word of God. A Christian is not going to be perfectly consistently applying and doing the word of God. But those are the marks. Those are the marks. Those are the the evidences. Those are the fruits of someone who has authentic faith. We're in process of growing, of maturing, of bearing fruit, of listening, of seeking to put into practice the word of Christ. That is the mark of a child of God. And so let me encourage you to not put your hope, not put your eternal security in some prayer or some date in your Bible or even some act of baptism. Put your hope in Christ. Put your hope in him. And as you abide in him, his fruit will be produced in your life. His word will be worked out in your life. So may you, I pray that you may have authentic faith, not a faith that seems good, but then fades away, but a faith that lasts, that endures, a faith that can only be granted from above, from the spirit. That is a faith that can endure, one that God gives and implants in our heart. And my prayer is that each and every one of you has that authentic faith by the grace of God. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, we are humbled by the privilege, the opportunity that we have to hear the word of God, to hear the words of Christ this morning. As this passage emphasizes and reminds us several times, Lord, may we have open ears to hear. God, we pray to you that you might grant us the ears to hear and the eyes to see. Grant us, Father, the desire to carefully lovingly, purposefully listen to the word of God and to seek to not just hear it, but then to think 
about how we can put it into practice in our lives. Father, I pray that you would save us, that you would draw us to yourself, and then by your grace, produce that fruit in us in demonstration of your work in our hearts. Or grant us authentic faith. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.